All right. Well, it is good to be with you guys. And I, I have to say, it's, it's really fun for me to be here uh, because this, this particular community, Finding Life, uh, has a very special place in my heart. Uh, because when God started to plant this seed in our mind to go plant this church and move back from L.A. and go to Lincoln and, and start Mosaic, uh, Finding Life was one of the few church plants that I was actually connected to. And so I'd been following the journey from afar, and it was like, it was one of the churches that had gone ahead of us. And it just, it made me feel less crazy. You know, it was like, I'm not the only one, and this can actually be done. And so it's fun to be here. And, and your pastor, too, has a very special place in my heart. I've got a, uh, a pastor man crush on Jake, uh, for sure. <laughs> he's, he's one of my best friends in the world. And, and I can say uh, with all integrity that there are very few people on the face of this earth uh, whose character and integrity and love for God and love for people I trust more uh, than your pastor. So you guys already know this, you know, like, you know, in Omaha, there, there might be some churches with bigger buildings and a longer list buffet line of ministries, but you guys know, right, the church is not a building and it's not a list of programs. The church always has been and always will be the people, and you guys really have something special here, and I hope you know that. And if you believe that, can I hear you for a moment? Yeah, all right, all right, yes. All right, I was, I was afraid I might have to challenge you to be a little less white. You guys are following me, which is good, which is good. Is that for me leaning forward? See, I, I, I didn't get the memo that we are using lapel mic this morning, and so I would have worn a collar shirt instead of a T-shirt, so it's just sitting on my, apple, my Adam's apple right here. So if I cough or choke or sneeze, just cover your ears or hit the floor, all right? So this morning, I am really excited about what we're going to be talking about. Um, it's something that is, is something I'm very passionate about, and honestly, the clip that you just read off our website is a really good setup for it. Uh, but it is kind of sensitive waters. Um, in fact, just a minute ago, I was chatting with some people in the kids' ministry area, and they asked what, we were gonna, what I was going to be teaching on, and I shared it with them, and they're like, did you choose that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> I did. You know, it's, it's sensitive, but it's something, it's something that I think is incredibly important because when we get this wrong, Oh, man, we do a lot of damage. We do a lot of damage to one another uh, as part of Jesus' church, and we really hurt our witness and credibility in the world. And that is, I want to talk about judgment, and not the kind of judgment that maybe like pops in your head the first time you hear it when you're sitting with a church and they say they're talking about judgment, not judgment from God. But I want to talk about the judging that we do between one another, the judging that we receive and the, judges, the judging that we dole out. And I want to actually look at a verse uh, that is arguably probably the most popular, most quoted verse by people who don't believe, uh, people who would not consider themselves Christians. I hear it all the time. Uh, and it's also, I would say, one of the most popular ones, even amongst believers. We love this one, especially if you're under the age of 40. I bet you love this one. We're going to look at this. This is, uh, this is Jesus in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 1. Uh, here's, here's what uh, Jesus says. He says, Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. And all God's people said, amen, right? We can get on board with that. People love that. People don't even, they reject Jesus and the Bible altogether. But this is an idea, this is an idea that they can get on board with. And Jesus continues. He doesn't stop there. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Right? This may well be like our generation's life verse. Right? It's like, don't judge me. Who are you? You know, like, you know, you're a sinner too, you know, so who, who are you to call me out? You know, as long as I'm, as long as it makes me happy and it's not hurting anybody, it's cool. So I'm going to live my life over here, mind your own business, and you live your life and we'll just be cool with each other, right? It's, it's tolerant, right? 
If we've got a cultural value that is universal, it's got to be tolerance. It's the coexist bumper stickers that you see all over the place with the little religious emblems. Like we, we tolerate everything, right? Tolerate every action, every belief, every religion, every lifestyle. We are, we are tolerant, and the one thing we are intolerant of is intolerance, right? And if you, and if you, if you don't believe that, right, this week I challenge you, just practice just a little bit of intolerance. You know, just suggest that somebody you know is wrong. You know, that what they're doing, is there, there is a truth, like an absolute truth that exists, and they're violating it, and they're wrong. Right? The stuff hits the fan. Like, immediately discomfort, a lot of conflict. Uh, and, and, and let's be honest. Okay, this is an idea that we can get on board with, because the truth is, like, it stinks to be judged. Right? And I don't know if you know this, but the pastors, people actually have opinions about pastors, and they're not always good, you know? And so... I can, tell, I can speak on behalf of Jake in saying that we get the recipient of judgment on a fairly regular basis. And it doesn't feel good. You know, like just a few months ago, I was out in the grocery store, and we had these T-shirts made for our church uh, for a series we were doing called I Love My Church. And so we got these shirts and just big letters that says, I love my church. And you always get like a mix of reactions when you wear that in public. Uh, some people will get you really weird. Most people try to just avoid eye contact. And, but every now and then you get somebody who's like, yeah, that shirt, you know? And so this guy, I hear this voice behind me at the grocery store, and he's like, I love your shirt. I was like, thanks, you know? And, and then came the question, you know, he's like, what church do you go to? And I was like, I, you know, I'm a part of uh, this church called Mosaic. And all of a sudden his whole demeanor changed. And he got very, very serious. And he said, that's not good. I was like, why is that not good? And he said, well, my pastor says that your pastor doesn't preach the truth. Doesn't preach the truth, you know? And I was just like, well, you can tell your pastor <laughs> that our pastor will meet him in a dark alley any day, you know? No, I didn't say that. I wanted to say that, right? Because it does not feel good to be on the receiving end of judgment uh, at all. And let's be honest, hyper-judgmental Christians have caused more damage than maybe anything else when it comes to the movement of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the cause of Christ. Right, and some of you, in fact, that might be your story, and you've got the scars to prove it. Christians who did not love you well, they were hyper-judgmental, they, they judged you harshly and unfairly, and maybe for you, like me, by the way, that's my story, stayed away from the church for a big chunk of your life as a result. Right, that's the kind of power that, that judgment has. And so we, though, as, as Jesus' church, like we're tasked with actually asking, well, what did Jesus mean by that then? Right, is what Jesus is saying in that moment is that we never had the right to call one another out, to speak hard truth to one another, right? It's just tolerance. You, you be okay with you, I'll be okay with me, and we'll just kind of live in the same space and be cool with one another. Is that what he's saying? Is there ever a right time when we can judge one another? You know, and so let's just kind of play this out a little bit, all right? So how about a teacher, right? Does a teacher have a right to judge? All right, when I was in high school, I remember one particular night, this happened more than once, but I forgot that I had a paper due the next morning, late at night, so I, I just sat down and vomited all over a paper as fast as possible, went to bed, turned it in the next morning and just prayed that the, the teacher wouldn't, wouldn't notice. And the next day, he, he, he pulls me aside. He's like, Aaron, I got to talk to you about your paper. He said, I loved it. Like, it was captivating. I kept thinking, like, where is he going with this? Where is he going with this? And then I realized you had no idea because you never got there. <laughs> right? So here's your worst grade so far, and he gave me a C, you know? Does he have that right? You know, do I have the right to be like, well, you know, you think I deserve a C, I think I deserve an A, meet in the middle with a B, right? Does he have the right to judge? Or how about a police officer pulls you, 
pulls you over because you're going 70 in a school zone on a Monday morning? Right? Does he have the right to judge? Right? Uh, how about when we see something in the world that most of us would agree is just wrong? Uh, it's a crisis. It's a tragedy. Uh, even evil. You know? So like a few weeks ago, I don't know if you saw in the news, uh, a guy drove a truck full of explosives into a shopping district in Baghdad, killed hundreds of men, women, and children. Most of them were just shopping with their families. And ISIS claims responsibility and celebrates. Right? Do we have the right in that moment to make a judgment call and say, that is wrong? Right? That is evil. Right? And I realize those are really extreme examples, so let's parse it out a little bit. Let's get a little bit more nuanced. How about with our kids? You know, so for example, uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter Paige was playing on the Wii U. And we're hooked up to online, so she's playing like Minecraft or something. And I just happened to be sitting there, and I look up, and there's a chat room, and they're all chatting. And I just happened to see all the boys in this room are trying to arrange with the girls to go meet somewhere and kiss. You know, and my first thought was like, let's go do that. Let's do that right now. Let's go meet these boys. And uh, boy, will they be surprised to see me, you know? Um, but it's like, do I have the right as a parent to be like, that's wrong, that's not going to fly, uh, we're going to shut this thing down. You know, or what if you, somebody you love, you come to find out that they're an addict and they've got a secret addiction that's been going on for some time, and you start to see it actually start to affect their life. It's affecting their work life, their family, their relationships. It's starting to affect their health. Do we have the right in that moment to step in and make a judgment call and say, this isn't good. You've got to get out. You've got to stop. This isn't going to end well. Right? Or how about the flirty guy at work who's married? Right? And every time you see him, he's out trying to hook up with the single gals in the office. Do you have a right to, to call that something and to speak in that guy's life? What if he's a part of finding life? What if he's a friend? What if he's in your small group? What if he's your best friend? What if he's family? Does that change things? Or how about sex, speaking of a tolerant culture? Right? The, the cultural value as it relates to sex is, hey, you can have sex with whoever you want as long as it's consensual. No harm in that, right? Well, what if, what if somebody decides they want to have sex with a 12-year-old? What if she's your daughter? Does that change things? Right, so you can start to feel like how, how complicated, but at the same time, how incredibly important it is for us as Jesus' church to get this one right. right. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. What did Jesus mean by that? Right, so for the next couple of weeks, just you know, this is something I want to do in the next couple of weeks, is kind of bring into light some passages that get misused and misinterpreted. And this is one of them. And when we're just kind of like a, I don't know, this one's free. Uh, it's talking about like when we are interpreting scripture, there's a couple things like we got to keep in mind at all times. All right, first of all, we got to remember, we got to be looking at the context. Always looking at the context. Uh, Jesus never had Twitter. I don't know if you knew that. He, he, he never like just said something that was 140 characters or less and it was a standalone statement, right? And, and so when you're reading a verse like this, or any verse for that matter, it's connected to something. Right? It's connect, that sentence is connected to a paragraph, which is connected to a larger body, a stream of thought, which is connected to uh, usually a larger body like a letter, which is connected to the larger body of scripture. Right? So we have to actually always zoom out and, and ask, all right, what's going on here? What, what's the context of this? And the other thing we need to do as we do that is we need to actually, we actually need to use scripture to interpret scripture right? and actually ask, all right, is this consistent with everything else we read in the scriptures? Because if it's not, if there's dissonance, right, if there's disconnection, and there's things that seem to contradict each other, uh, we've actually got to dig in deep because there's maybe, probably, something else going on there. So that said, if we do this on this Matthew 7 piece, and we just zoom out a little bit, just in the chapter right before it, Matthew 6, uh, Jesus is in a stream of thought, right? And in the Greek, just so you know, we don't have chapters. That's something we put in there, right? So this is one body of text. 
one right into the other. And Jesus keeps coming back to one theme, and he's talking about hypocrisy. And he's, he's railing on the religious authorities, the Pharisees, uh, for judging people, but judging them as hypocrites. And then he says this, very interestingly, it's chapter 6, he, uh, or actually chapter 7, he keep, comes back to it and he says this. He says, watch out, be on your guard, and beware of false prophets, right? Which implies that we've got to be making a judgment, right? Like, who's to say they're false, right? Who's to say they're wrong, right? At some point, there has to be, there actually has to be a judgment made. And then he says this, so, so verse 1, and here's what I want to do. I just want to paint very clearly that there's no possible way that what Jesus means in this statement is that we never have hard conversations or make judgment. But instead, that he, what he does have to say, and what the scripture, scriptures affirm, is that we need to be very, very careful in the way that we do. Right, because verse 1, Jesus says, look, do not judge or you too will be judged. Verse 2, he says, by the way, in the way you judge others, that's going to be how it's going to be judged to you. Same measure that you use is going to be back to you. And then in verse 3, he says something very, very interesting. He says this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Right? How, how can you hone in and call him out because of that speck of dust, that little bit of sin he's got in his life, when you've got a two-by-four of sin coming out of your face? Right? But then he goes on, and he actually says, look, first remove the two-by-four. Right? Get right with God. Deal with that thing in your life. But then he says, why? He says, so then you can actually step in and help that brother or sister with what's going on with them. And, make, and to do that, you're making a judgment call and saying, look, that thing that's going on in your life, it's not good. Right, it contradicts what God has called us to, and we're, we need to have a conversation. Right? And so there's no way that that's what he's saying. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I just want to look together at four very important truths, biblical truths, as it relates to judging. Right? And so the first one, the first one is this. Uh, do not judge superficially. Do not judge superficially. Listen to what Jesus says in John 7, 24. And this one will blow up the whole idea. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead what? Judge correctly, right? He's saying, you got to judge, right? He says, but the way in which you do it is really, really important, right? He says, don't just make judgments from a distance with limited information based on how things appear from there. But he says, you actually need to dig in a little deeper. In fact, so what he says is there's actually a time and a place for us to make judgments. And in fact, it's part of our responsibility uh, as those of us who are followers of Jesus, part of our responsibility, right? Don't do it from a distance, though, right? And this is, man, this is hard. Oh, my goodness. This is hard right now for me, maybe more than any other time, because it's election year. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for this election to be over, because I want to like my friends again, you know? Uh, I want to like my church again, you know, because I'm on Facebook, and oh, my goodness, the judgments that go through my head, right? But here's the thing. I know I'm not the only one, because I'm in a lot of these conversations, right? I've got friends and the moment that they see somebody is supporting Donald Trump, automatically assume that that person is an idiot, right? Redneck, right wing, whatever. You know, attach whatever label to it is. But there's just a judgment that happens in that moment. And I also have Christian friends that are on the other side of the issue, right? And the moment they see anybody supporting Hillary, right? Well, they, you have no, have you ever read the Bible? You have no moral compass. She supports abortion. You know what I mean? And it's just like, from this distance, we're making judgment calls about people's intelligence and their character. And if I'm really honest, like, I do this all the time, right? When I'm driving through Lincoln, I, if you guys have been to Lincoln, we don't have a transportation system like you guys have in Omaha. No freeway, no interstate. Just from my house to get to the interstate is like 25 minutes, right? It's just hard to get anywhere. And every now and then, I get stuck behind somebody who's driving, like, County 88 license plates, 
who actually thinks like the speed limit is like the speed limit, you know? And they're going so slow, and I need to get somewhere. And in my, in my mind, where my heart goes, is I am making judgments about their character and their intelligence and all kinds of things that aren't fair, right? And, and, and we do this, man, we do this all the time. In fact, here's what I would suggest to you, and this is part of the reason we have to actually have this conversation, is that by nature, like, we are, we are judgment machines. It's just where our natural bent is. It's where our, when we're not careful and we're not actually taking every thought captive, it's just where our heart wants to go, right? So, so for example, I'll just, let's just parse this out a little bit. So when, you, when another shooting happens, and they have and they will, and, you know, a 10-year-old black unarmed child is shot down by an armed police officer, right? It's on the news. We don't know the details yet. But you see this photo of this young kid, and he's got dreadlocks, and he, he doesn't look like you, he doesn't dress like you, but there he is, and he doesn't pose like you for photos. And you see the photo of him, and then they, then they show you the photo of the police officer who is now on administrative leave, white police officer. Right, where does your heart go in that moment? Who gets the benefit of the doubt? Right, we all do this, one way or another. And we start, sometimes those judgments are very, very unfair. Uh, for example, or how about this? How about when you're out in public and you're being slowed down by somebody in front of you who is obese? They struggle with their weight, right? And they're just moving a little bit slower than you are and you're in a hurry, right? What goes through your mind in that moment? I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with a really good friend of mine named Stacy, and weight has always been her struggle. And she's seen doctors and she's been just vigilant with, uh, with her diet and working out. And, and she just, that's just her, her struggle. And she was at the grocery store uh, just a couple months ago. And this guy walks by, meathead, tank top, bro, totally ripped. And he walks by, and she had just stopped by a little, get a little sample of ice cream because she doesn't keep it in the house. And this guy says, you know, if you didn't put crap like that in your body, you wouldn't look like that. Just, just crushed her. Just crushed her. And what he doesn't know, because he's judging on appearances, the very thing Jesus warns us against. So he doesn't know that she's seen doctors, that she is vigilant with her, with her diet and her workout regimen, and that what he didn't see is a cart full of fresh produce that she had. Right? Every time we judge from a distance, this happens. Or how about when you're out and about and, and you're being slowed up by a gal who doesn't speak your language? Right? She's out with a couple kids by herself and she's got a burqa on or some kind of religious headdress that is not Christian. Where does your heart go? Right? Are there judgments that go? You, you can start to see all the different ways that this happens. And it happens all the time. That rich guy over there who lives better than you. He drives a nicer car than you. He's in a bigger house. He enjoys many of the luxuries of life that maybe you never will. What kind of judgments go through your mind sometimes? You know, it's like, oh, the way that guy spends his money. You ever do that? Guilty? I'm, I'm guilty of that one. But the truth is, you don't know. You don't know. Truth is, he might be doing more for the kingdom of God than you or I ever will. Chances are, I mean, it's possible that the, give, the amount that he's giving, the percentage of, of wealth that he is sending out is just shames us in our generosity. But we would never know that. Right, or how about that gal? You know that gal? Oh, yeah, she's a total, you know, starts with a B, rhymes with which, I can't say it because I'm in church. But, yeah, I, I met her once, and she is that, you know. It's like, really? Five-minute conversation, met her one time, you know that? Would it change your mind if you knew that just two months ago she was diagnosed with cancer, probably terminal? And it's the same cancer that took her mom's life and her sister's life? How would that change the way you interact with her, the judgments that you leverage against her? And of course, it's easy to do in the church world too. Apply it to church. 
oh yeah, that church over there, that pastor over there, rah, rah, rah. It's like, do you know, do you know him, her? Do you go to that church? Right? If not, like that's just not our call. Right? And Jesus says, look, if you're gonna insist on making judges from a distance based on appearances, you're gonna lose that game. And you're gonna cause all kind of damage, not only to your own heart, but chances are you're gonna hurt other people as well. He says, don't, don't do it. Right? And so so I, what I would suggest to you is, is that our job as God's people, is to always, always, always to discipline ourselves to affirming that person's value. Every single person, to agree in our heart, where our heart needs to go, the moment we, we feel that judgment coming on, is to agree in our heart that that person was worth Jesus dying for. You know, and, and, and until we have all the information, until we really know what's going on there, we believe the best of them. We give them the benefit of the doubt because Jesus thought them worth dying for. Right, so we don't judge by appearances. Number two, uh, never judge hypocritically. All right, this is, uh, listen to the words of Romans 2. This is verses 1 and 4, uh, the New Living Translation. I love the way it puts it. It says this, it says, You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. All right, when you say they're wicked and should be punished, what you're really doing is you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And listen to this, I love this. This is a verse that gets like no airtime, but it's so good. Don't you see, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God has been with you? Do you know how much that God has put up with you when it comes to loving you? How incredibly gracious he has been. Then why in the world are you picking them apart? You know, it's like, do they have things they need to work on? Uh, stuff going on in their life? Yes, yes they do. But guess what? Spoiler alert. So do you, you know? And God's been so good to you. And he says, does this mean nothing to you? God's grace, his patience. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. I love that. His loving kindness uh, is meant to move you to repentance, depending on your translation. He says, don't judge. Don't judge hypocritically. And here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's what I, I keep running into. I think, and, and I don't know from somebody else, and I'm just affirming that it's true. Sorry, we're going to get this microphone thing fixed next week, but you're just going to have to deal with it for now. Um, is we tend to do this. Here, here's, again, this is our heart level stuff is that more often than not, we tend to, we tend to uh, accuse others and we excuse ourselves. Right, so we're well aware that we make mistakes, but what ends up happening, I, I can't remember where I read this, it's so good, but they're just pointing out, you know, when it comes to making judgments and stuff, we tend to make judgments based on other people's actions, but then when it comes to judging ourselves, we judge ourselves on our intentions. You know, and so somebody else really messes up. And where our heart often goes is like, there you got it. That's who they really are. They're, finally, their true colors are coming through. How could I ever trust that person? But when it comes to us, and we make mistakes, more often than not, right where our heart goes is like, oh, but you don't know the whole story. That's not, that's not, that might be what I did, but that's not who I am. Right? If you knew the whole story, you'd understand, uh, I, just, I just made a mistake. Right? And, and here's what I would say. Here's why it's so important that we tune in here. One of the things that I've found over and over and over again Right, is all of us, we have like triggers. We have certain areas where we're harsher on other people than others. Uh, even if we hold back, it's where our heart goes. And those things, oftentimes, where we, where, we, where we direct our harshest judgment, oftentimes, is reflective of oftentimes our deepest weaknesses. Right, that when, when something arises in us and we get angry and we want to dole out judgment, that's connected to something. That's striking something in here. Right, and so like in the pastor world, like you see this all the time. And I think it's just like, 
Maybe it's just because that's like my field, so I'm more tuned into it. But you see, you know, all the time we see pastors that make mistakes and they lose their ministries and they lose their families. We start paying attention to the details, and it's pretty amazing the pattern you start to see. You know, so like just, uh, it was over a decade ago, I think now, was really pastor of this huge church in the Midwest, uh, thousands and thousands of people. He was the president of the Evangelical Association of America. He was one of the spiritual counselors to the president at that time. Um, he, as I, one of the things I remember is he was always, always railing on homosexuality. It was like his theme song. He'd always double back and just, it's like somehow he'd be preaching on God's grace and he'd come back to that. You know what I mean? He'd be like talking about the prodigal son and somehow he'd, he'd, he'd work in homosexuality. He was just always railing on it. Well, for those of us in the Christian world, it shouldn't have been that much of a surprise when he ended up losing his ministry because he was caught in a hotel room with a male prostitute. Right, where as harsh as judgment was, there was, that was connected to something. Right, just a few years ago, another pastor had a, has had a huge impact in my life, very positive impact. I believe this guy loves the Lord and loves Jesus' church, but one of the things he was always talking about is submitting. Submit to your pastors. Submit to Christian leaders. Submit to the pastor of your church. Well, come to find out, he, this guy couldn't submit to anybody. And as a result, he lost his entire ministry. Right, so this is why this is so important that we lean in. Right, because we all have those things where we tend to be harder on people. And that's, that's connected to something. That's striking a chord inside of our heart that we need to pay attention because most of the time that thing that, that it's revealing in us is not good. And there's a work there that needs to be done so that we can be doling out grace instead of judgment. So we never judge hypocritically. Number three, this, is, this one's so important. Oh, so important. Uh, we never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Never, never, never. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 5.12. He says this. Love this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? In other words, that's not my business. Right? What business is mine to play the sin police? And oh my goodness. Oh, we, could, we, could, we could just get a microphone up here and share horror stories of Christians and churches who think that this is their job. To police the sin in the world. You know? And that's just not our calling. Paul says, what business is it of mine to walk around? It's like, you know, you probably don't need to be cussing as much, you know. Hmm, is that weed I smell? Is that legal? I don't think it is, you know. Really need to see that R-rated movie? You don't really need a beer, do you? Oh, no, no filter on your browser. Interesting, interesting. Very passive-aggressive, you know. That's not our job. It's not our call. Not our call. Right, we're never called to hold people outside of the family God to our family standards. Right? And here's the thing. We all have family standards. In our home, we've got certain rules that are just unique to our home. Certain shows you don't watch, uh, certain words that you don't use. And our kids realize really quickly that not all families are the same. You know? So they'd be, we have friends over, they'd be at friends, and they'd say a word like crap. You know? And at first, our girls were like, <gasps> you know, and like pointing the finger. We're like, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean they're bad kids, and it doesn't mean they have bad parents. We've just got different standards in our homes. Right? And Paul is saying, look, we don't hold people outside of the family God, of God to our family standards. Right? It's just a different animal. They never sign on for that. Right? That's, just, that's just something that's, that's for us. And the truth is there will always be Christians in churches who don't get that, which is why it's so important that we do. Because, you know, I don't know Omaha as well as I know Lincoln, but if it's anything like Lincoln, there, there are some great churches but there are far too few 
that get this and that are a safe place for people who are asking questions and trying to figure it out or don't believe outright and they need a place to call home and journey. All right, so it's so important, so important that we get that. Listen, our job, right, God's job is to, is to handle the judgment. God's job is to handle all the judging that happens outside of the family of God. Our job is simply to love people well and point them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We're on the same page. Post me up. All right, so here's the rub. Here's the rub. <laughs> that Paul's not quite done yet. You know, so he says, look, what business is it of mine to judge people outside of the family of God? But then he says this, and this is, this is a rub for us. He says, are you not to judge those inside? I don't think we like that one as much. Right? And, and again, what he's getting at here is actually this is actually part of our call. That there is a time and a place where part of our calling and our responsibility is to exercise judging. You know, and so when we see a brother or sister in Christ who we love, they're making decisions that you and I both know are not going to lead them anywhere good. Right? It, it violates our family standards. And it's hurting the people around them or it will. It's going to hurt them. That we have a responsibility to step in and, and do something. Because that's what loving judging looks like. Right? A lot of you probably don't know. I've got a younger sister named Rachel. When she was a teenager, she was dating an older man uh, who was bad news. He had, been, he had been in and out of prison his entire adult life. Uh, he had a criminal record a mile long. He was a dealer of meth. Uh, got my sister on it, eventually got her pregnant at 16, um, and he beat the crap out of her all the time. It's like you hear stories like that on TV, you just never think it's actually going to be your sister. And she was convinced that she was just so blessed to be with this guy, and he was just, he was just trouble. And when my sister got on meth, uh, it started to really take a toll on her health, and you started to see it all over her. My, my sister's a beautiful gal, but you just see it. And she actually got really, really almost deathly sick, and she ran away, and we were looking for her for weeks, and we're afraid that if we didn't find her soon, eventually we would find her body. And, you know, what we have to ask, and this is just illustrating a point, is what is, as a family, what is the loving thing to do in that moment? You know, is it to be tolerant? Hey, she's going to do with what she's going to do with her life, I'm going to do what I do with my life, she enjoys that, I enjoy not that, you know, so just let her be and I'll do my thing. I don't think so. I think the loving thing is to do what we did. And that's just to find her and sit her down and say, Rachel, you're killing yourself. Like, literally. You know, you've got to stop. What you're doing is not right. It's not good. It's not going to lead you anywhere, anywhere good. You've got to get out of this relationship. You've got to get off meth. You've got to get help. You know, and, and by God's grace, uh, she did. And uh, that guy ended up going to prison basically for the rest of his life. And uh, she got out of that relationship and is married to a great guy. But, but that's, that's, that's got to be our call. You know what I mean? That's got to be our, our role and, and our posture towards one another. It's like, I love you too much to not say anything. I love you too much to let you just keep on sinning in that way. Because ultimately, it, it, it may not physically be killing you, but spiritually it's going to if you keep going down that road. Right, eventually you keep saying no to God like this, and like Hebrews says, eventually your ears are going to become dull of hearing, your heart's going to be hard, uh, this isn't going to be good. So you've got to get out. You've got to get out. Right, but that's family business, all right? And 
I'm looking at the clock and, whew, all right, I need, to, I need to hurry up and wrap it up. So number four, and I'll just say this. Uh, our job, always, 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 is we always help to restore uh, fallen believers. Right? The goal of the judging, the goal of the hard conversations, the goal of calling one another to carpet is always, always, always restoration. It's always. It's never to tear one another down. If that's our posture in our heart, we need to shut up. Right? It's always to build one another, one another up. And when somebody crashes and burns, right, we don't spit on the ashes and point our finger. We grab a fire hose and we, we try to put out that fire to the best of our ability and we walk with them through the long, painful, slow process of healing. Always try to restore fallen believers. I love this. Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a, a what? Sin. Yeah. Takes judgment, right? If someone's caught in a sin. Oh, wait a minute. Who, who are you to call? Who are you to say what's wrong? Again, we've got our family standard. We've got, we've got this incredible scriptures that show us the rhythm of living, like the kingdom way and the rhythm of Jesus. Right? It says, if anybody's living like that, I love this. This is what it says. It's not politically correct, by the way, but it's our call. Right, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should what? Kick them while they're down. Right, shoot them while they're wounded. Right, parade them in front of people. Use shame as a motivation. No, 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 no. no. You should restore that person gently. I love that. Restore them gently. Right, with the same kind of grace right, that you would want to be you want, would want to be given. That's what we dole out. Right, with the same kind of love that we would want in that moment when we crash and burn, we give them that kind of love. Right, with the same kind of grace and love and patience that God gives to every single one of us, me included, every single day. Right, that's, that's the posture. Right, that's the gift. It is always to restore them, no matter how heinous the sin. Because Jesus thought that person worth dying for. So here's what I want to do. I've got more pages of notes, but I'm going to cut myself off. Um, you're welcome on that. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. I just, want to, I just want to read one last passage. And I think as far as the, the judging, the discerning, the hard conversations go, this is so great. Ultimately, right, our model, our role model is always Jesus, right? Always. He's a good one, right? Um, and, and so here's, here's what we read about Jesus. I love this. So, so good. John 1.14 says this. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father and he's full of what? He's full of grace and truth. Now here's the rub and here's the challenge. I'm just going to land the plane and apply it right now. Every single one of us, based on your personality and temperament, maybe your background as well, we have a leaning one way or another, right? We are either grace people or truth people. Right, and you all know what this is, right? Grace says you're loved. Truth says you're accountable, right? Grace says I love you no matter what, you're forgiven. Truth says there's implications to your actions, right? And all of us kind of go one way or another. In fact, some of you had parents, and you had a grace parent and a truth parent, you know? And guess which one did you like more, <laughs> right? The grace parent, always, you know? And so all of us, here's the thing. Whether you are a truth person, right, who just like, man, preach the word, bring the heat, you know, as long as it's true, you just say it. Whether you're a truth person or whether you're over here and you're a grace person and it's just about love and acceptance and just embracing people, regardless of whichever one you are, the gospel beckons us to move. Right? The gospel of Jesus won't let us stay where we are because Jesus was the fullness of grace and love. Because love always looks like grace and truth. Grace without truth is not loving. And neither is truth without grace. 
And as a church and as followers of Jesus, we are called to both. All right, and so here's what I want to challenge you to do as you walk out of here, as you think about this. Which one are you? Right, do you lean more as a grace person or a truth person? Right, what does it look like to actually allow Jesus and the gospel to move you in this direction or that direction? All right, so here's, let's, let's close in prayer and prepare our hearts for this. Lord God, in a room this size, I don't know a lot, but I do know that we are a community full of grace and truth people. And that without your work in our lives, uh, we tend to be a grace or truth people. Chances are there are people in here who kind of fall more on the truth side of the spectrum. And if they're really honest and looked in the rearview mirror, there are people that they hurt. And they, they hurt because they spoke truth, but they, they spoke it in the wrong way. And being right in the wrong way is still wrong. And Lord God, maybe in this moment, what they need to realize, maybe obedience looks like going and working towards reconciliation and saying, I'm sorry, I was a jerk. Or initiating uh, reconciliation in a relationship that's been broken or maybe just ended altogether. And Lord God, I, I'd venture to guess, you know, finding life is anything like the church I pastor, that there are many people in here, especially as we swim in a culture of tolerance, who fall more on the gray side of the spectrum. And we genuinely want to love people and embrace people and accept people. But we also know that there, there is somebody, maybe more than one, in our life right now, and a hard conversation needs to be had. A loving and gracious conversation, but a truthful one. Lord God, in this moment, through your spirit, speak. Help us to see what it looks like to move towards grace or to move towards truth because you've called us to be both. And Lord God, I pray for this church, for finding life. I, I love this church. I love this community so much. And we need, Omaha needs more churches that embody both. May you continue to make finding life, this community, into a place that embodies both grace and truth who reaches out its arms to a broken and hurting world, who pursues them and embraces them and loves them exactly as they are. Lord God, and also a place where we can be real with one another, where we don't just pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay, because we know that's not loving either. And every single person in this room has a part to play in that. It starts with each and every one of us. So Lord God, as we come before you in worship now, continue to speak. Continue to lead us. Show us what the next step towards grace and truth looks like. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said.